0: Hello everyone, welcome. It's time once again for Catalog and Cocktails, presented to you by Data.world. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd, product guy, customer guy at Data.world, joined by co-host Juan Gata.
1: Hey, Tim, how are you doing? I'm Juan the principal scientist at Data.World. And as always, it's a pleasure. It's Wednesday, middle of the week, end of the day, towards end of the day, or really end of the day, as we'll see where our guest is coming from today. And I'm super excited to have our guest, Simone Steele, who's an experienced CDAO, until recently CDAO of Nationwide Building Society. I met Simone uh, over a year ago at the, at the CDO IQ, I think in 2022. And by just pure coincidence, we just sat, we got on a bus, we were going, and I just sat next to her, and we just had a phenomenal conversation. We met up again last year, uh, last year, a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, And she gave, I think, one of the best talks at CDOIQ because it was the most thought-provoking talk. And uh, Simone, how are you?
2: I'm very well, Juan, and nice to meet you, Tim. I'm really delighted to be here, and I'm delighted that we made this work across the pond. Uh, I'm in France right now, and it's a quarter, well, it's 11 o'clock at night, (laughs) so proper cocktails, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) post-dinner cocktails today.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm super happy. Yes, I'm super (laughs) excited about that. So, hey, what, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for? Simone, kick us off.
2: So, you know, it's a post-dinner podcast for me, and I've just had a lovely dinner here in the Dordogne in France. I went for an Irish coffee to keep... Well, it is decaffeinated, though, so it's kind of (laughs) cheating. The important (laughs) thing is the brandy. Um, But it's one of my favorite drinks, and I'm glad to have an opportunity to drink with you guys. (laughs) And I am toasting for... I am toasting... Actually, I'm celebrating the fact that finally data has come out of the nerdy world, even though we might be a bit nerdy here in this this podcast, right, and into the wild of, you know, people understanding now how, you know, AI is going to be trained by all this data, you know, and now all of a sudden we have a voice and a platform and the interest of a much, much broader part of society.
0: I like that. Yes, I feel like data is finally coming into its own now, which is great. And AI is creating a great platform for folks to get involved. Um, yeah,
1: that, that's a good, yeah, good call-up go. for episode last week with mm-hmm. uh, Wendy Turner-Williams, which is about data as a first-class citizen. So I definitely mm-hmm. agree that that's the change that's happening right now. Hey, Tim, yeah. how about you? What, are, what are you drinking and what are you toasting for?
0: So I, I'm actually um, enjoying some of the the final days of summer here with my family. And so I wanted to have a summer drink while on my sort of final summer vacation here. Uh, and so I'm drinking a uh, a summer spritz with gin, orange, and peach with a lemon. So something a little light and fruity uh, while hanging out by the pool. Done with the pool now. Time for podcasting.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> So I have, I discovered, uh, I'm not, ai don't like ciders that much, but I was at the supermarket and they had all these very different amount of ciders. And this one is called a uh, pineapple paradise and it's vacation libation, but I poured it in and it was really sweet. So then I mixed it with some sparkling water, but then it became like too light. So then I put a little bit of, of rum in it and actually turned out really nice. So oh, nice. I will to give it a name, <laughs> but hey, somebody, this is how we run here. By the way, and I came up with this like <laughs> for, know, minutes ago. It's a,
0: a, it's a Juan last minute smash. There we go.
1: That's what yeah, it yeah. Is. yeah, it's, it's the, the Alchemist.
2: Started. Yeah, you, 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 have to change the podcast. It'll be the Alchemist podcast from now on there with you all go. this drink mixing. <laughs> <Alchemist. laughs> and I'm gonna
1: cheers because for vacations, I love. We need to take a time We need to. We need to disconnect from our work and just kind of spend time with family and. And and I'm really appreciated that you're both on vacation and you continue to 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 join us here. I'm actually on vacation on Monday, and I actually kind of feel a little bit bad because next week we're not going to have a live podcast because I'm on vacation. I don't even know where I'm going to be with my internet connection, but I'm going to be actually in Oaxaca, Mexico. So that will be a fun place. But anyway, so here's my weird drink, which is actually
0: tasty.
2: To vacations and data. data.
1: All right, so we got our funny warm-up question uh, because the topic today is a, a data sustainability. So, if you could give a funny TED talk on sustainability living, what would the title be, or what were the what would the quirky advice be that you would share?
2: Uh, the title you guys are going to have to help me out with, but the theme has to be why do people worry more in the realm of sustainability about single use? plastic cutlery and straws, then they worry about streaming useless videos. And I was gonna single out the funny cat videos, right? But, you know, I don't wanna make enemies here with your the audience. They might love cat videos, but there are other silly videos out there. They are infinite. And we are using this marvelous compute power, telecommunications infrastructure on earth, on space, to stream that kind of nonsense. And I keep thinking, come on, people, let's be more responsible with the use of <laughs> our scarce resources. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so I have a, a particular thing with cat videos, but that's because I don't surf a lot of the internet. There might be other things I would talk about. But uh responsible surfing, but responsible scrolling, something like that. That would be the TED talk.
0: Yeah. I
1: like that. I like that. I don't know it's yeah. a good one. <laughs> You, can you top that one off?
0: <laughs> I don't know if I can top that. But now I'm starting to think about not just cat videos, but some of the, you know, sometimes you're watching Netflix or Hulu or something like that. And you're watching a show and you're like, why are we watching this? Like, this isn't even that it's good. It's not even good.
2: Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and it makes me think, you know, how does it even get made? Because it's not just yeah. the resources for the watching is like a lot of people's resort and some, some of them have a lot of talent, you know, people invest a lot of that time in it. And so you think these are clever people. They should be trying to solve world hunger and, you know, beasts everywhere and not producing these videos, yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking, but anyway, <laughs> life hey, is- if
0: anybody from Netflix is watching, you know, we want, we want to chat to one of your data scientists, because I think that you're, you're, you're looking at our behavior here and you're like, oh, these dummies, they're going to watch this. They're gonna All right. Well, th-
2: th-
1: this is a good way to just the segue into our discussion. So Simone, uh, honest, no BS. What is the relationship here between the growth of data and environmental and business sustainability goals?
2: Yeah, well, I think, uh, well, twofold. Yeah, so one thing that we debate a lot in professional circles, professional circles in uh, cybersecurity, uh, engineering of all new uh, marvelous uh, technology solutions to our business problems, and uh, data for training models and for producing uh, value for for businesses um, so there is a component of our technology ecosystem that can poss- can help shift the burden from the physical world of transportation of goods you know improvement of logistics that I think is important for sustainability of human presence on the planet. But then there's the flip side, uh, you know, that we joked about the the cat videos, but there is the flip side, which is technology being used to manipulate um, human behavior that adds very little value to, well, a lot of value to very few pockets, um, but actually consumes a substantial amount of not just electricity, but natural resources to keep expanding data centers and keep Launching more a few more thousand satellites and and other and the other things that are justified by our demand for digital and data. So, I think this balance of is data enabling a more sustainable life in the on the planet. Cl- a, clar- a clarity of uh, climate modeling, you know, environmental uh, destruction, and all that comes from data. But then we apply for a a tiny segment of our economy, which is economic gain for marketing, sales, and um, and sometimes you know just profit maximization via analysis of data for no societal benefit. Um, And when I talk about sustainability, uh, clearly a lot of people who listen to my talk in the CEO IQ immediately thought about. Uh, natural resources. But I think there's sustainability of the practice as professionals and as consumers um, in, uh, that includes the social aspect. Um, are we trained professional, uh, training professionals appropriately? Do we have enough of those professionals? Is it sustainable to manage businesses with such legacy we have? Um, with potential um, flaws and debt building up. Is it sustainable to be just consuming more? And a lot of my data, um, kind of what what I worry about data and sustainability is the fact that we become far more fine-tuned to certain segments of the population that can consume more and we don't um, apply the principles of diversity and inclusion when it comes to our data modeling uh, practices. We repeat history because we are looking at data historically. Um, So sustainability for me is, you know, are we bringing everybody along with this great new world of technology enablement or not? I don't think it's sustainable. I think we are creating uh, very powerful elites and very many disconnected groups, uh, because data is really clear saying, don't worry about these guys, right? Just, you know, uh, just just create solutions for the ones that can buy a phone every two years. Um, So that is really what I think um, is the thread that links both the positive and the harm uh, that data can bring to sustainability conversations.
1: So I, I want to go back and kind of just, just kind of remind the audience here that, that we, you gave this talk at the CDOIQ, and I'm like, I was very excited when we I attended your talk. Uh, that's why I wanted to be on the, on the podcast so we can basically kind of review your talk again. And in your talk, uh, you actually drew something. Uh, on the, well, there's no whiteboard. Ah, uh, yes. On the, on the, which I have a picture here, which I'm going to show it to you but just, so people who are actually seeing this can see it. But then I'd love for you to explain what we're seeing here because it was very, very insightful what you have. So here you're showing basically the, the X and the Y axis, right? The X is about the time and the Y is the benefits. I will narrate. You... Yes. Uh, let
2: so me, let I will... me narrate the video.
1: Yeah. Yes, please. Okay. So just
2: Right. So a little backstory uh, for for the ones that were not there. Uh, As you get jet lagged in these conferences, sometimes I woke up literally at three in the morning thinking, huh, how do I explain sustainability and data in one simple image? And I had not prepared that for my talk because it was a three in the morning jet lag moment. And I realized that over time in the X axis that you showed, There are two things happening. Uh, One is the fantastic development of technology that I mentioned as one of the relationships between data and progress right and sustainability of our activities and it goes really in a steep exponential curve upwards and every little uh, discovery or commercialization opportunity say cloud computing is one. Large language models being available in open source is another one. These are inflection points where we exponentially improve and increase the potential benefits of technology. And then I drew uh, the second curve, which is lower, um, still improving, but much low, a much lower rate um, below, which is our capacity as humans to um, make that potential benefit real benefit. And, you know, we trail a little bit, right? We have to learn the technology. We need to create transition programs. We have to adopt new ways of working, thinking, modeling, and, you know, coding and all sorts. So we start from a much lower gradient with the inertia of the past. And then we have maybe a bit of a disaster from the, from the new entrants in the market, and we get slammed with more regulation say, ah, now you have these privacy concerns, maybe now you have these architectural concerns, these cybersecurity concerns. So instead of being able to accelerate at the same rate as the potential benefit, we start to accelerate, or we start to flatten out a bit. So the bottom curve that Juan was just showing actually shows us that yes, we can make incremental um, uh, progress and, and make the benefit real, but it's not at the same pace as new technology potential benefit uh, releases. And my provocation to the audience was, how do I move from the bottom curve? How do I piggyback on the top curve? How do? What are the things that stop us operating um, at the edge of the technology development safely and sustainably? Because that is the thing in an IT function or a data function, we are always um, challenged by our finance partners uh, that we look like a bottomless pit of money, right? You keep throwing a lot of investment in there and it gets sucked up by all the debt from the past, right? I'm paying interest rate all the time and more and more as I go along with my old technology. So something is not being designed correctly in our corporate behavior To understand what is needed to be on that curve, not not at the the sharp edge of the curve, but on that same trajectory of the benefits that come with new data technologies available to us. So, sustainability is can I keep up? If I had to replace that word, it's like, can we keep up? Can we keep up with resources? Can we keep up with knowledge? Can we keep up with the environmental? Destro- destruction around us and so on and so forth. But it was, the, I, it was I think uh, I, I needed to find a mechanism to bring the audience to this place of sustainability is not just about net zero. You know, sustainability is about next generation of leaders. They'll be here in a blink of an eye. You know, how are they leading uh, this discipline of digital and data? Going forwards, and um, and that's where it all started uh, in that day uh, at the CDOIQ. No, this
0: is this is really did cool. I do
2: justice?
0: Yeah, this is really cool. And and so I, uh, you know, Juan was able to be there, and unfortunately, I wasn't. So it's very interesting to hear you kind of walk through this model. Um, and you know, actually, my background is um, uh, uh, I, uh, I'm an economist, uh, economy major, right? Economics. Uh, And so whenever I see charts like, uh, you know, like that, it always reminds me of economics and, you know, the different models uh, around looking at, you know, whether it's GDP or, you know, different macroeconomic or microeconomic um, scenarios. Right. Um, And I, I kind of see you describing a model here that helps us think about, hey, there's this, as you're saying, potential benefit. Right. And as these major enhancements are happening around technology, we could be doing so much with that. Um, And it sounds like you're kind of mentioning that, you know, in reality, we tap into quite a bit less than that. Um, And especially as new progress happens, that golf becomes wider. Um, And, you know, you mentioned regulation and things like that as being one aspect to this, which can either make that gap widen or maybe if it's the right regulation it can actually make that gap uh, become smaller I, I imagine also sustainability when you think about resources whether social resources or physical resources also when that's not managed properly right that does that that also is a factor that's making that gulf wider
2: yeah i i assume that um you know we are not applying our data knowledge to the market of data science. I am absolutely, and, and as an economist, you know that the faster movie, uh, the, the money moves around, the more it appears to be, right? It's this inflationary aspect of this, the velocity of, movie, uh, of, of money moving around. It's the same with data scientists. We, industry, keep, st- keep stealing data scientists from one another because we have to pay a premium and get them and then somebody else, Trump, you know, pays a bit more and they get them. And then, so this is part of the sustainability discussion. So are we bringing people up sufficiently for the labor market of the future or are we just simply inflating the value of very, very few people and, you know, just creating this merry-go-round? that is good for the individual, <laughs> you know, I consider myself part of that because my my background is threefold. It's, uh computing, which I studied first as an apprentice in a technical college. Then I majored in economics, mm-hmm. specifically econometrics and statistics. And then I did a data science course much later in life uh, just to see what the fuss is about. And mm-hmm. as it turns out, is econometrics, right? And predictive models have not changed very much. Um, but, you know, I keep thinking, you know, who's treading the, who who is explaining this path, you know, and and the the perhaps the visual representation comes from this background of uh, demonstrating economic models. that are quite sophisticated in terms of demand, supply and elasticity and, you know, um, of, of prices and interest rates and stuff. You know, how do we represent this to an audience that is not a computing audience? you know, there there are executives making decisions about um, big picture decisions in their companies. So I think that picture, if I had perfected it and put on a PowerPoint, it would be (laughs) much more useful. Uh, But you will be able to see the video, I'm sure once the CDOIQ production um, uh, opens it up on their YouTube channel.
0: Yeah. No, so I awesome. um,
2: hope you make a little bit more sense for your audience as well. <laughs> no,
0: I'm looking forward to them, uh, to them being able to check that out when that's available. And, uh, mm. and and I couldn't agree more on, you know, how do we make this accessible to understand? Because, um, you know, I, I think of the, the term externalities, right, like and the externalities of these technology. It seems like a lot of people don't fully recognize the externalities around things like data and the progress around technology.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. And, and it is, I, I discovered very recently as I was writing the book uh, that even though I there is a chapter in ex- dedicated to externality, you'll be happy to note him, <laughs> uh, but I might have to change the, the title because it alienates people. So, mm. technical terms, I realized that uh, in technology, in data, in any profession, in economics, in medicine, you know, you, you throw in a new concept and then it's a strange name people disconnect from what you say to learn what the, the term actually means right. and somebody came to me and say why don't you just say you know unwanted, uh, unexpected effects or side effects or
0: right.
2: you know some well technically speaking about or something like
0: that right yeah
2: <laughs> yeah technically speaking it's not the same thing you know it's something that is not considered in the model that could be beneficial or harmful but i think with data the simpler the language, the more people will want to engage, right? Um, so I think the talk as well, so keep just going back on, on this talk, it will be very mysterious now for your audience, but um, it, it is about making it accessible. There is no good to anyone creating this veil of complexity and just talk amongst ourselves, data professionals. I think um, very common habits of archiving, destroying your documents on paper, people used to do that a lot, right? I keep my university certificate, but I don't need to keep all the receipts after I've done my tax return for, you know, maybe for seven years and then I can destroy them. People were used to doing that. And that wasn't and that wasn't complicated. But now we talk about data retention. It becomes, you know, it gets elevated to a a, a really complex level that it doesn't need to be. Um, and I think it is sustainability is about how many more people can I bring along with me rather than, you know, just say, you are not the expert. Just talk to me about externalities. Right,
0: Right. exactly. Hmm.
2: So
1: so, what are the, I would like to get into some concrete examples. You were getting into one right now, for example, like retention, right? Mm -hmm. We're like, Oh so here's something that we do let's call it in the in, in the real physical world right? we have to we'll keep track of physical documents and stuff right but and now we also have this notion of data retention but we're like retaining everything let's log everything like let's let's keep track of everything that we can just because just because we can does not mean that should we like so that for me seems like an aspect of of data sustainability i'd love for you to go through kind of some like examples across different spectrums here about what is it? That, what are what are what does sustainability look like? And and what are I guess the the pros and cons about doing one thing or another?
2: Yeah, I think the uh, sustainability the, the data retention is probably one of the most important, I would say, hygiene habits that every citizen and every professional needs to understand and practice, and not just important documents or perhaps I don't even know what threshold to draw on metadata and and log files, right? But let's take, for example, uh, the unstructured data that we all generate in big corporations. Um, I think that is, for me, a really good example because it's close to my heart because I, I saw a person at work struggling to explain to their boss why is it that we keep buying more storage and it never seems to be enough? Yeah, and this person turned up in a data governance forum, and I said, "I'm really sorry, I can give you the policy, but I, you know, this is a governance forum." But that person was so desperate because there was no forum that cared about her problem. Yeah, so it, it seems to be like she she had this monkey on her back. It, it feel to be like I need to help that lady. And that's how the whole sustainability thing started for me, um, you know, because I couldn't just say, "Here's the policy. Next, who's next with another problem?" And why is it the most important? Because in order to do it well, when, in order to know what to keep, what to throw away, what has potential value, and what is just rubbish, you need good hygiene of classification, labelling. You need to know what it is, right? And I hope that one day people will turn AI into the mess that we created and AI will help us to figure out, oh, this thing you didn't know what the meaning was, maybe I can give you some context or whatever. But the matter of fact is we hoard data because we don't know what it is. So cataloging, classifying, et cetera, It's maybe not so glamorous, but there are lots of librarians that I'm sure lost their jobs when we thought we didn't need libraries anymore because we could Google stuff. So bring them on, right? Can I get librarians that lost their jobs from all the local libraries that are closing down? And they can tell us good information management techniques that we can apply to the digital world. Um, So the diversity here of... Um, experiences in different fields because data is not actually a field of its own, you know, unstructured information like books may have a technique. Scientific data for genetic research may need a completely different technique. So the fact that both need data is neither hidden or there. But the example that... Um, so I worked with this lady who brought the problem and we started to figure out, first of all, can we stop creating more rubbish, you know, even if we don't know exactly the mountain that we are sitting on? Um, what are the things that we do know that people are doing that they could, with the change in habit, um, create a great um, benefit for your data growth to not be so exponential in the future? and we came up with a blog. Um, There was not for the tech people for the entire uh, organization to just start to educate people. Did you know that when you send a four megabyte PowerPoint with two pages of text, you are most likely carrying a huge template that you cannot see? Did you know that if you email 50 people in an executive and minus one position, they have to keep their emails for 20 years? for regulatory financial regulation in the UK? Did you know? Because when people know what the effect is, the cumulative effect is with images of how much it grows, how much it multiplies itself, how much, you know, people don't know that we have to have a seven day rolling backup of all our mail servers, right? So that four megabytes times, times seven, Times 50 people that received it, times 50 people that sent thank you and forgot to not send the attachment back, <laughs> the other, the other, you can see that the actual text of that, the value of that PowerPoint, two pages of text, might be 100 kilobytes. But what they've generated in terms of load was over six and a half gigabytes, right? and people still look at me like i have two heads i said let's let's draw this megabyte this kilobyte megabyte gigabyte thing when i show them the ratio between 100 kilobytes and 6 gigabytes being my my little drink and the height of the eiffel tower for example <laughs> you know then they say oh my god i didn't realize that my 100 you know, my hundred kilobytes is probably, I don't know, 10 centimeters. And the Eiffel tire is what, 300 meters. So it's, yeah, so it will be like three and a bit gigabytes. <laughs> then they feel included and they change their habit because they know they are creating a problem for a friend, right? They are creating a problem for that department over there. So that for me was the aha moment, on data retention well first stop creating it you know and then we can look at how do we unpick how do we compress useless conversations how do we encourage people not to say thank you to 100 people in that project via email go on the chat channel go on to the coffee place or whatever it is you do but like just don't do silly things that just create the appearance of free data, but actually it's somebody else paying the price is the externality from that point of view, right? Somebody else has the problem has the monkey on their back. Um, So this, I think, is the most useful example um, that uh, was immediately recognized by people whose whose job titles did not have data in it. Because quite frankly, you know, we're all generating, you know, this podcast is generating data, right? So we need to be really careful. Like, is this value? Yes, let's go for it. Is this value? No, like, just don't do it. And I think that is a habit we should teach our kids <laughs> before it's too late.
1: <laughs> uh, there, there is so much deep thought in what you just said. I do want to kind of take this as a quick joke on, on the side. It's like, Actually, one of the coolest things that came out, funny things, is like, don't reply thank you by email to 100 people. Like, stop doing that.
2: (laughs) But I don't even know if they're thankful. You know, (laughs) oh, somebody picked on me one. Seriously, somebody said to me, oh, but that's just bad manners. And, you know, like, one little thank you. They think they're sending nine characters, you know, and I'm just trying to explain to them, this email thread has been running for decades, you know, this project is like this, if you scroll down, <laughs> you lose the will to live. So this thing in itself I'm, is already 500 megabytes. I'm curious,
1: are there any studies on on the amount of, of space and compute and money for all these, for superfluous uh, data retentions? Because it would be fascinating to know, it's like, well, this organization out of the 100% that's being stored in all this money and all this compute, Actually, we only needed to do, I don't know, 20, 20%, whatever, like at 80% of compute, of energy, right? There's energy spent, of money spending on sp- storage and all that stuff, and people's time to go manage this stuff, right? Because you got to keep backups and people all that, like that's useless.
2: Yeah, there are many studies, Juan, um, that. Well, there is one very deep, detailed study uh, of a team here in the UK called the Devo team, but they are dedicated to looking at data created by software developers. So they are the guys who go deep in the history. Uh, and every company is very different yeah but they go deep into history saying oh my god this source code thing can't even be built anymore you know like what are you doing it's being written like 20 years ago to an operating system that we don't even have it you know they do this kind of archaeology i think that's how they they position it so there are studies and the people already becoming quite tuned to the problem um but also there are uh, business studies. I think IBM has produced one, and there are many um, uh, academic ones. And the more studies you, you um, look at, the more the range of usable to unusable information or unused information becomes clear. Only about 10% of the information generated is ever accessed again after a week and about uh, 20% is accessed, I think, in the first month. Um, most of the information generated is never accessed at all, right? So this is like kind of rule of thumb, but it looks a bit like the 80-20 thing, but it could be 10-90 uh, or 90-10, um, but it is that kind of level of magnitude. It's not 50-50 is what I'm trying to say. There's more rubbish, than useful information everywhere, everywhere. Um, But I'm sure there will be companies that will say, oh, I'm really a good use case here. My company is very lean and we don't carry any of that baggage. And I'm still waiting to see who they are Um, because everybody keeps looking at these numbers and say, oh my God, I think my number is 95% unused. (laughs) People actually have a bit of a panic moment and say, actually, I don't, see, I, I, I don't see my business being any different. I recognize uh, the pattern in my business. But we dedicate very little time to looking at that kind of internal problem because it's so invisible. The only person who sees it is the CFO when he gets the bill yeah. for your cloud storage. Really? And if I might say just one more thing, well, very quickly, I promise. Um, there is an economic incentive building up for us, not to throw away data, uh, which is cheap cloud storage, deep storage, uh, spot instances, and things that you know say, oh, don't worry your head about this, your pretty head, right? Just, just, just buy this service, and and the problem will be cheaper for you, right now. But you know, clearly, my business model as a as a storage provider banks on the fact that there will be more demand, counts on the fact that there will be more demand.
1: That, that that's where the incentives are aligned to like oh this is cheap I mean you hear this a oh, lot that storage is cheap right so then like oh just yeah I don't, I, I don't even consider thinking about having to go deal with that um, yeah. we we've, we've talked a lot about data retention as a sustainability opportunity what you you earlier you you brought up something earlier before on we repeat so much stuff, right? There's like so much wheels being reinvented and you brought up something, if I understood correctly around like even data modeling and stuff. I'm curious to know what other sustainability opportunities and is there anything here related about how we, uh, how we should be doing more uh, just doing data modeling so we don't uh, reinvent the wheel? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think uh, the, the fact that of course, our systems copy our human structures within the organization, Um, clearly have um, influenced system design, of course, the the systems are designed to cope with the dynamics of people, Um, has encouraged all of us to uh, duplicate everything that we cannot reuse. Uh, So I'm a big fan of the, there is a, a data standard for scientific information exchange called the fair principles i think is well known in this in this kind of circles definable accessible interoperable and reusable um attributes of data and um you know it is it is a shame that this is not the law right <laughs> like if you already have it why you know the, but of course people think that if i send you a file we use the wrong verb you know i'm not sending you a file I'm giving you a copy of my file. You know, maybe I'm sending this day and age, we might send each other links and we might look at the same book, basically, right? You look at the same reference. But most lay people, they send stuff as if we put something in, in the post, right? And with that thought, uh, and inside the company, the same thing, right? We're sending the sales today to the accounting department, we're not sending anything, we're just copying the whole thing, right? So the, the the implementation of the FAIR principles should be just like when surgeons go onto the operating room, you know, they wash their hands, they put their masks, they disinfect the equipment. Like, they have those standards, they can't deviate from that, the patient will die. Like, why are we professionals being you know, it's a psychological thing, and I and I really uh, enjoyed your previous one of your previous guests. You know, Tom Redman's talk about people and data, because people are not doing this because they they want to be evil. <laughs> They're doing this because they don't know any better, <laughs> right? And uh, and I think we know better, right? We professionals know better. So, what are the things that are triggering that that are making us? do the wrong thing, like it's out of, you know, my professional character to do, but you know, they pay me, they told me to do it, and I'll just do it. Yeah, so I think uh, it's a, uh, we need to be we need to embrace a few more sociologists, psychologists, anthropologists, to explain what the hell is going on inside these companies <laughs> you know? that make that push people to do the wrong thing. Right. Anyway, it's money. Now you know the we know the, answer is. <laughs> we know the answer all is. the
0: incentives that uh, that make it hard. Um, you know, I, I think what's interesting as, as we talk through these different examples is just how much uh, it's not top of mind for data leaders to think and talk about sustainability. Like I I think that there's a lot of attention paid to um, you know innovation. There's a lot of attention paid even to things like you know trust and regulation and things like that, right? But not nearly as much on uh, sustainability, which I find very interesting because as AI becomes more of a thing, as data science continues to mature, we're talking a lot more about bias, for example, right? Bias in in data and in models a lot more than we're talking about sustainability, uh, and I know those two things have a relationship with one another, but I was just curious, you know, why do you think that is? And how do we start to make sustainability more a part of the data leadership conversation?
2: Um, I'm going to have to quote some, I don't know who said that, but it's a famous physicist. And you guys probably know, probably Max Planck, Hmm. that said, uh, physics progresses one funeral at a time. Right. So there are so many. Strong leaders in their field that new practices struggle to break through. yeah, so I'm considering I'm considering myself here one of the old folks, right? So I've worked in data for thirty six years now, and I would love to retire at some point and do something a bit more creative in I keep saying ten years time. I've been saying ten years time for a long time <laughs> in ten years' time <laughs> but. To answer your question more directly, Tim, I think we do these things because our personal lifespan and our professional lifespan is a tiny little episode in a company's system lifespan. Yeah? So our longevity within this problem is not compatible, right? So we make decisions as leaders that has to balance my... Professional survival, my budget for this year, my comp- my competition, and the pressures of AI and whatnot. And you know, it is a real tightrope walk here. And I think the it, it's nice to have a philosophical, well, coffee infused discussion at this time of night for me. Um, but I struggle, and I want to share this struggle with as many people who want to listen to say. You know, how do we put ourselves in a sustainable curve of the benefits? Because it it is a different leadership style. But the leaders are being incentivized to do what leaders 50 years ago were rewarded to do, action, meet the budget, increase the sales, market penetration, cross-sell upset, whatever that is, right? I can't even as a data leader say that I have a data strategy. I have to have a data response to my business strategy. This is how second class we are. <laughs> this. Well, no everywhere. This is a
1: fascinating yeah. conversation we're heading and, and I I wish we can keep another hour here but you need to go to bed after but I don't know. This is this is the time when we have like these philosophical discussions. So first of all, uh, I always yeah. say science is is a social process. And and it is all about being able to uh, convince yeah. our peers. Right. When we do we, we talk about peer-reviewed, is because I, I I have some theory, right? And I and I and I do these experiments to provide evidence to support this. That's and I have this belief, and I want to convince my peers. And I present this as, as I, I write it. I write papers, I make presentations, I go to conferences, I talk. We now do podcasts, we do blogs, all these things to be able to convince our peers around this stuff. And then uh, from there, it, it just it takes time. Right. So uh, this the, the, the discussion I always come up with is this balance between efficiency and resilience. And we're so focused on efficient because that's what we're incentivized for. And you're so spot on, Simone, that we just that has been the 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 what we've been trying to go do for so many decades and we're finally doing that and i think now uh we we, we're realizing we need to think about also being resilient and thinking about the future finding this balance but our incentives are not there yet so hopefully these discussions Mm -hmm. are happening such that we're inspiring the next leaders in 20 30 years time they're gonna find this balance and they're gonna go back and look at history like oh 30, 40 years ago, all they did was care about what's going on in the next quarter, right? And that was it. And Wall Street was looking. And then we're going to shift. It's like, how stupid were they in the past? Because they thought, oh, I don't know. Maybe that's going to be a discussion. Hopefully that's a discussion. So going back to something you were saying before on like the fair principles, I mean, the FAIR principles comes from my academic kind of home base, uh, the semantic web, knowledge graph community, and pharma space. right? Yeah. So I've, I've, I've been around all, all, a lot of my colleagues who actually wrote the FAIR principles. I was around this time when they were doing this. And it's and it's something that I, I see, and I'm like, this makes so much sense. But why aren't we doing this today? Because it just takes time for some people to pass away. that, that's, that And that's the Planck principle around that. Uh, so. Hopefully, we're inspiring the, the next generation of leaders uh, uh, that we need to start thinking more about.
2: And you know, I, I it's so true. I think it's the next generation, but also for us to understand that continuity is not bad. You know, I, you know, I grew up in the middle of two two generations, right, my dad thought that me changing jobs all the time was clearly a bad thing, and then the millennials thinking that why would I want to stay for one or two years here, because I want to learn, I want to grow, I want, it's egotistic, you know, I want to, and my dad is a different generation, it's like my role in this community matters more than what I'm going to achieve as, you know, an egocentric person. So I can see those two dynamics clashing. And I think this succession planning shouldn't be a a dirty word, right? It shouldn't, you know, this volatility is damaging our profession. People coming and going and knowledge being dissipated in in ways that is not increasing the collective. And I feel the tools are masking The problems, you know, somebody's giving is like somebody giving a Ferrari to my 18-year-old that just passed his theory test on the driving
1: test in Britain. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm the first to go to, to to be the grumpy old man and being pessimistic and look what we're doing. But I will, but then I like stand back and acknowledge that the the field of what we call computer science has been around for 60 years. Right and so I mean since Alan Turing right so it's like in the 40s right so then there's then the field of math goes on but this is a very young field and it's a very immature period. Math to physics to biology—all these things. So we should give ourselves credit too that we are doing so much advancement in some in, so, in small amount of time that uh, maybe we don't have to wait a generation. But I'm, I'm going to say it's another generation. Yeah. Hopefully, I get to see it. Yeah,
2: we 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 are the pioneers. Yeah, we are the pioneers. Yeah.
1: Well, we could we we got to start. This is fantastic discussion. But we got to start kind of winding down, going into our next segment. So next segment is we're going to go our AI minute. One minute to rant about AI, anything you want. I'm going to time you. Ready, set, go.
2: Do we really know why we need it? (laughs) So I think we are losing. It's just a, a a neighbor jealousy thing that we're going through right now. So I think people just calm down. Not everything needs to be action. A lot of what we do needs to be thinking. Yeah, so... Now every company has an AI strategy. And if you don't, you will be shamed in the cover of The Economist, right? These people will miss the boat <laughs> and they will be dead next year. Like, just why are we rushing? Is obviously the answer is also money, Tim, I know that. The, the, <laughs> I know the answer is money, but like, but guys, we could do a lot of damage. I think I'd rather stick to my natural stupidity than having more artificial intelligence. At this point in time, because we're destroying a lot of things we touch. Um, so it's just the why is missing for me. That's my winch. Like, I, I don't get the why. There's a lot of sales brochure, but show me you believe in it.
0: I think that's fair. And th- that's a very sobering perspective, because it's not a, a naysayer perspective. It's not saying you're not saying that it's not going to be valuable. It's saying we really got to understand why we're applying it and how and do some thinking about it.
1: Be critical about
2: it. Just a little bit like stop for five minutes (laughs) all
1: right so uh let's go to our lightning round which is presented by data.worlds i'll go to the first question here is there a close relationship between good data governance and data sustainability
2: absolutely absolutely i think that is they should be elevated to the guardians of good practice you know, and the guardians of our future in, in data. And I think that's probably uh, an undervalued uh, aspect of data governance that if we attach to it, maybe people won't be so afraid of taking that as a profession. The new librarians. I'm, I'm go. Like yeah. the I like like,
1: we need, we, we've talked before about that we need to rebrand data governance uh, to like data empowerment or whatever but also data sustainability be something in there i like this yeah i like, yeah, I like yeah. that uh, yeah. um oh, good right, old information
2: question. management yeah okay oh, there you go, <laughs> go.
1: <laughs> all
0: right second question um so you know, I'm trying to think about short-term incentives around how do we encourage more sustainability. So, you know, there's, you know, ESG uh, initiatives and and uh, and budgets, right? And and, that, and for those that aren't familiar with that, environmental, social, and governance, uh, things like green initiatives. Uh, also, you know, Data.World is a B corporation, and so there's, you know, different corporate movements mm-hmm. that try to align more. Um, do you feel that these short-term incentives make a difference?
2: Um- Mm. I I think uh, they need to be fewer, and they need to be sharper, and then they will make a difference. Um, using the example as you did, because I was very encouraged by ESG until I understood that my sustainability department really was very preoccupied with what's going to go on the website, mm. right, like you know, are we publishing our net zero commitment? Are we able to evidence how much water we are recycling? You know, less so about the sustainability of our human practices. So I think we are trying to bite too much with this, with the ESG 12 principles Mm -hmm. um, of sustainable development, and that gets people confused. So... I think every company, every responsible leader needs to pick one or two things and then I think they will be powerful.
0: I love that. That's, some, that's good honest OBS no right there.
2: Yeah. All right, next question.
1: In the next five years, do you feel like AI will make a net positive impact on sustainability like with innovation or a net negative impact? More resource consumption, physical, social, not natural?
2: I think we will only hear about the positive impact. So I think unless you know you dedicate uh, back to one of your questions, right? How much of the data we produce we don't use? Of course, the academics, that are not learning as much as I am, they are preoccupied with that. At the the moment, you know, I get the results, I might change my behavior. But with AI, people are going to act, and they will publicize so many successes they will publicize a lot. And I hope they happen actually in areas that do matter um, where data crunching, combinatorial problems and things that are hard computational problems coupled with quantum computing because it's just around the corner. It might be a different podcast one day, but like quantum computing is around the corner and it likewise needs to be applied to problems worth solving. And um, so I do hope you'll be positive but I'm a, I'm absolutely certain we will only hear about the positive. It will be hard to dig the real cost.
0: That that is a very wise statement. It- yeah, there, You know, pe- you know, people ask questions like, "Oh, when we're training ChatGPT and things like that, how many, how much compute is that really consuming?" And stuff like that. We all we all assume it's probably quite large, but we don't really know. You know.
2: Well, uh, in the UK, when I moved from Brazil to the UK, I was astonished and shocked by the fact that my house did not have a water meter. You know, how much water you consume in your house, so you pay the bill. It was all done in an estimate thing because it was an old Victorian house, it still is. I still don't have a meter. But I try to consume less water. I'm gonna pay exactly the same. If I consume, if I have a swimming pool or not. I don't, by the way, but I was just saying (laughs) Uh, (laughs) data is the same compute power and data need to have a meter. I need to get a bill. Like how much have I used to train my chat DPT? Oh, dear. Maybe I should use less next time. Maybe I don't actually need it after all, because this bill here is too much for me. So it's exactly like give me a water supply with no accountability for how much i use and i'm going to like it's likely that i'm going to abuse it i I think i think that i try very hard not to
0: yeah Yeah, this is this is good yeah it's like goes back to your comment about ai right like you can emphasize all the benefits but if you never connect it to the costs right um you have to there's no
2: meter yeah there is no meter there is no counter there is nothing
0: yeah. Uh, all right. I want to keep well, on. Asking you're going to say something. This, I just but... cut
1: you.
2: Through. <laughs> <laughs> we got one, we got one <laughs> final
1: question there, Tim.
0: Last, last, uh, last lightning round question. All right. um Is the best thing that we can do, like everybody who's listening to this podcast right now, is to become mm. more educated in sustainability around technology, around data, and to spread that education. Is that the best thing folks can kind of focus on?
2: Yes. 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 I cannot emphasize how important that is, and not just us working in this field, your mom, your dad, your neighbor, your children, your girlfriend, your, you know, <laughs> the postman, <laughs> you know, like education. This is not a mysterious thing. We like to use very complicated words. No, it's it, we should remove that veil of complication and get people to say, you know, like, you know how plastics are made? You don't know exactly, but you have a mental model. People understand now the life cycle and how it ended up with microplastics in the ocean and the water that I'm drinking. You know, people now understand they need to do the same for digital services and data. They need to start now being, well, first of all, we don't have time. To re-educate everybody, put them back in school and re-educate and create a new curriculum. There's no time for that. Mm-hmm. We need inquisitive, curious people. They, understand, they always, always behave like a five-year-old asking, why is this? How does this work? And, you know, why, why, do, I need, you know, why do I need this? And as adults, right, we need to be more like five-year-olds. And uh, education is everything because of the accelerated curve that we were talking about, there is no time. There is nobody at the head of the curve telling us, pulling us up with them. There's nobody doing that for us. So it's up to us to read, to listen. I mean, honestly, if one thing that is available to us is now information, it's sometimes too much, it's hard to tell the truth from the untruths, but we could really educate ourselves instead of looking at moquette videos, right?
0: I think that's a good a good reminder to everyone here. In between each cat video, please learn something new.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> go listen attention to, attention to yeah, listen to, to a podcast or TED Talk.
1: <laughs> All right, well, Tim, uh, takeaway time. There's so much here. Take us. Away I know,
0: and I'll, I'll do my best to condense it. Which is, I, I really think that um, that Simone, you you hit a lot of really wonderful points here, and I think really. Uh, educated uh, me and and our listeners around, uh, you know, how, how to think about sustainability in a broader way and how how technology and data um, can have an impact here, both positive and negative. Um, and uh, I really think that uh, one of your biggest points that you started with here is that, uh, you know, data can be a double-edged sword when it comes to sustainability and and. Um, And, you know, there is a flip side to using technology that isn't just um, the physical resources, but also the social impact as well and the behavioral impact as well. And you have to think about those uh, issues, too. Um, And we can use data to help, but there are going to be a lot of these negative side effects. Um, And sustainability isn't just about natural resources. You really have to think about that social aspect. And that's very important, too. Um, And are we bringing everyone on this journey of enablement or are we leaving people behind? And that's not just the people that have the data or don't have the data, but it's also what decisions that data is leading us to where, you know, it's benefiting some people. It's also not benefiting some people. And that can result ultimately in a lack of of sustainability and a lack of uh, the benefit that can happen. Um, And you tied it to really a a model uh, where on one axis you, the X axis you have time and on Y axis you have uh, progress or or benefit. Um, And there's really two curves going on. One of them is the potential benefit. And as all these new technologies, you mentioned cloud computing, LLMs, that the potential benefit is quite immense. And every time we hit those inflection points, it pops up, right? Uh, But the second curve, which is the real benefit um, is actually there's a gap forming between the real benefit, that, the actual benefit, and the perceived benefit, and uh, and you know things like regulations, things like sustainability, uh, all these things, uh, if done right, should be bringing those curves closer together. So I think that's a really powerful Absolutely. mental model to think about this. Um, so Juan, uh, what about you? What are your takeaways, Juan?
1: So. I loved how we actually got very specific on on examples of sustainability, and we talked a lot about data retention, right? So, why do we keep buying and paying for more storage? Like people are like, "Are well, why are we spending so much money on this stuff?" Right? You have to really understand the, the needs behind it. And one of the things is that we may not even have good data hygiene habits and classifications around this, so we know what we need to be what needs to be stored or not. That's why we hoard so much data because we don't know what we have, and we don't have good data governance. How we and how we and, and, that that can enable us to be able to have better sustainability around our data we should educate our community uh, our, our colleagues about uh, about these little things for example did you know that when you send a powerpoint that has four megabytes in it and they're sending this template and you really the most important information is really this text which is really 100 kilobytes that's all really that you needed to go share if you're emailing X amount of executives, you need to keep all those emails for I don't know how many years around that, right? Explain these types of things to your community and have make them included so they understand the impact around that. Uh, one important thing is do not reply, thank you, to an email all right? That's it, stop doing that. Uh, 10, 10% of saved data is looked at only after a week and, and that's it, right? So there's like, we save all this data, people aren't using it at all. Now, there's always these incentives to store because, hey, quote, quote, storage is cheap, but just because we can, does that mean that we should? So another aspect that we talked about sustainability opportunities is the fair principles, findable, accessible, interoperable, reusable. I'm not just sending you a file. I'm actually sending you a copy of the file. And it would be fantastic if we start getting into this, re- into this new reality where we're actually sending you kind of pointers of this thing, right, so you can reuse it. That's why modeling and, and making and knowledge is so critical. So we don't reinvent the wheel over and over again. And um, talking about sustainability and leadership, but then we got into this philosophical discuss- discussion and, and following uh, Planck's principles, right? The science progresses one funeral at a time. And so I think we have to like acknowledge that we're, we're right now doing the things that people were trying to go do 20, 30, 40 years ago and, and hopefully this is the opportunity we're having to inspire the next generation of leaders to make sure that in 20, 30 years, we are having this uh, data sustainability as kind of first-class citizen around that. And I think a, a takeaway I have here personally is that anytime you're doing, whenever you're doing something with data, replace data with water. And ask yourself, is that how you would treat water, right? Um, Store more of it, right? Just throw it away, right? Just cut. So... That that that's a, that, yeah. that's something I'm going to start thinking about. That, uh, Simone, any any, how did we do? Anything we missed?
2: Ah, uh, no. I mean, you guys are great at summarizing. I'm so impressed. Yeah, it's a shame that I spoke for an hour and you could all synthesize it in like a minute. Each. No, but there's so some... like What the hell did I talk? To... Did I talk about? All, so we,
1: <laughs> we always uh, uh, we always publish our our takeaway episodes first. I want people to realize if you're listening to Takeaway episode, you need to listen to this entire episode right now. So with that, before we wrap up, uh, just three final quick questions. What's your advice? Who should we invite next? And what resources do you follow?
2: Yeah, well, my advice is never, how do you say this in English? Abdicate responsibility. Is that a word? Abdicate, Mm -hmm. like kind of don't think it's somebody else's problem ever when you're talking about data. Just stop and ask why. That's my advice for everyone. Um, uh, my re- recommendation would be, and I can help connect you with him if you would like this sustainability thread, uh, Jerry McGovern, who is the author of Worldwide Waste. He's a digital designer. Uh, you know, has been. For as long as us possibly in the field and has a wealth of end to end design and development life cycle that now I think marries up with data quite nicely it could be um, it could be an interesting conversation um, and the third uh, where do I go for knowledge I do read The Economist every week. And to try not to just get into tech literature, uh, look a bit more broadly, other things as well, but at the end, there is always a recommendation of a book. you know at the end of each weekly edition, there is always a recommendation uh, of a book, and I really look forward to seeing you know what they are reading um, and whether that can broaden my horizons as a as a data professional. Mm-hmm and as a human being, you know, and and that is my go to source. I don't look at the, I don't watch the news. I don't look at tweets. I don't look at breaking news. So every Saturday, I just, you know, I'm the person finding the news late. I just like, oh, my God, this happened this week. It's like I'm living in the 1940s, right? It's like, oh,
1: my God. So this, <laughs> this is a good thing. I mean, yeah, lot it's totally healthier
0: for, for you, right? Instead of reacting to whatever the headline is in the moment, you get to really look for the meat, the good stuff, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Simone, this yeah. was a fantastic
1: a conversation. Thank you so much. Just a reminder, next week, uh, Tim and I will have a short and sweet rant episode because I'm going to be on vacation and – uh and i don't know what my internet situation is going to be so we're just gonna have a have a quick little break out there just a quick reminder upcoming august 23rd we have aaron wilkerson from k heart on data leadership august 30th we have eric kaplan from databricks and he is the actual the real money ball guy so that's gonna be a fun conversation and then on september 6th we have alexa westlake from okta talking about data value and with that it's Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And always thanks to the World who lets us do this every Wednesday. It's a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you very much, guys. Take care and enjoy your holidays. Awesome. Bye. Thanks
0: for staying <laughs> up late with us. Cheers.
2: Cheers.